Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I hope the sound... (laughs) Is, is recording on this. It says recording. Um, it told me it's recording, so. So although we've been doing this for months now, <laughs> we're still having to, to to question whether the actual podcast is being recorded. I know, and it's so different being on here as well, like as a contributor rather than just a guest booker. Like, well, look, it's given me... me a new perspective. <laughs> It's great. And and for those that are listening to this podcast, welcome to my podcast, Second Chance. Now, this episode is going to be very different from all the other episodes because, as you've already heard, Tegan Parsons, my guest booker, is actually, well, my guest today, but not quite <laughs> my guest because what I've heard over the months that we've been working together is little hints, little snippets that Tegan herself has has a story to tell. She's never quite told me that story in any detail. (laughs) So we thought we'd take this opportunity. Well, I thought we'd take this opportunity. And Tegan offered herself as someone that's available to tell me something. But I'm I'm intrigued, Tegan, of of what it is that we're going to talk about. But before we get into the details... You are my guest booker, and you said you feel nervous. (laughs) I do feel nervous. It's so funny being on the other side of this. It's definitely given me (laughs) some insight into what our contributors go through. Let's let's think about the theme of this podcast, Second Chance. And you and I have been, you know, booking and talking to guests for for months now, and we've been listening to their stories, whether. Well, I've been listening to their stories as I've been interviewing them, but also you've been listening to them either on the day or or, or soon after. Do do you think, you know, we're ticking the boxes we should be ticking, that we are, you know, hearing the second chances from other people? You're basically asking me if I'm good at my job. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And whether you're delivering to the audience. Yeah, no, I think we do. I think we have a wide range of stories, and I think that's interesting. You know, I think when... 
I joined the podcast, it was very sort of focused on crime related stories. And I think that completely makes sense from your background. And then I sort of added a little bit of spice, you know, we uh, <laughs> mixed it up a little bit. So yeah, no, I think, I think we do. We deliver a good range of stories that would interest a range of people. And it's important for our audience to, to know that we don't have a strategy as in let's go for ABC, let's deliver DEF. We kind of, as we hear about people, as we see stories or if somebody recommends, we just go for those people, don't we? And we just invite them onto the podcast and we get approached by people who offer themselves or offer people up that they know. And we just go for people. And it's hard work, isn't it? It's not easy. Convince. I mean, there are lots of people who want to come on a podcast and tell their story. Uh, and and we're not particular in that they've got to tick a particular box. They've got to sound like or be like or anything like that. We're just talking to people and letting them tell their story, either for the first time or if it is a story they've shared before. It's just trying to get into the, the, the finer details of their story in a way that they may not have told it before. Yeah, I completely agree. I think our approach towards this podcast is very natural. And we just sort of take the human approach, really, of like conversations we would want to have or people we would want to talk to. And I think that works for for the podcast. Yeah, as you said, we have people approach us and it does get tricky then because, you know, people sometimes come on with an agenda. They want to get media interest in their story or they want to prove a point. And that's when it gets a bit political. You know, we have had to not do podcast episodes because of politics, because of you have to consider the victims, the other side of crime and whether it's insensitive to have certain people on. So, yeah, it's a more complicated job than I think people realise sometimes. Oh, oh, absolutely. But at the same time, I think it's also one of the strengths of what we're doing on this podcast, which is allowing people to tell their side of a story, a story that mainstream media often shy away from because they are fearful of the fact that they may be criticised for for allowing somebody who's done something so horrific to to say I'm sorry or that you know after being punished I I turned my life around and, and moved forward or you know they've been through like one of our last guest uh, a traumatic experience the the bombing in Manchester you know and how he was able to and I don't want to single out particular cases but I'm just trying to show that there is a a, a variant a difference between you, you know what second chance means to to different people uh, and for different reasons um, yeah I completely agree with that I completely agree and I mean I sort of see a different side to our contributors that a lot of the audience would because I you know have chats with them leading up to the episodes and we only have people on the podcast who genuinely are nice people you know so it doesn't matter what you've done in your past you can still grow and become you know a better person and I think there's room for every person in the world to to grow and improve and it, that exactly this is a platform for those people and I think people who are listening to this might find it strange that you know the podcast guest booker is actually on the show <laughs> but this is in itself quite interesting it's interesting to find out because we never get the chance really to reflect on the show and the guests we have on and, and what what the takeaway is from those individuals, because I've always seen it as just an authentic 
sort of organic um, experience, talking and listening to somebody share some of the most intimate details about, about their lives. And sometimes when you're interviewing somebody and you're listening to what they're saying, you miss the little things that people who are listening in their own time pick up on uh, and they reflect and, and share that that feedback in, in whatever way they want. I've had some really powerful messages from people recently saying that they listen to the podcast almost daily. They listen to a new episode, which is really good, whether it's on their walk or on their run or on their way to work, which is what podcasts are, are supposed to do. But I'm glad that you flagged up, Tegan, that it's not as easy as people like to think it is because it's not is it it's difficult making (laughs) everybody align whether it's my time your time their time you know getting everybody to turn up at a certain time to have a conversation for an hour is really tricky and and we do most of it yeah (laughs) especially because you have other commitments other people have commitments and also we do talk to people from other parts of the world as well so you know (laughs) I have to think about time zones and things like that but yeah, no, we make it work. And, and a lot of the guests that we've had on, you know, they have connected amongst themselves and there's like a little second chance community going on now. So who knows, maybe I'll join that now that I've done this. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, lots of credit to, to you for keeping those things going. So let's get to that question then that I ask a lot of people that come on to, to my podcast and it feels awkward that I'm asking you, but now I'm really intrigued and I don't know why we've not had this conversation before, maybe because it wasn't naturally the right time. And now it, it is with a little bit of pressure, of course, but what is the story, Tegan? <laughs> um, so in simple terms, my story is not an unusual one, really. It's talking about sexual assault, grooming, and then rape. So I know that you know small amounts of my experiences. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I was essentially groomed from age 14 or 15 to age 17. And then for some reason, I went to a music gig with the guy on the 18th of May, <laughs> 2014. I was 17 years old, just. And on the way back, I was raped in his car, in a car park. <laughs> so my story is not unusual in the sense that, you know, recent reports have come out and talked about how many women have had sexual assault problems. And I mean, even the women that we have on our podcast, often we don't get them on to talk about sexual assault. They're here about, you know, eating disorders or something else. And it seems to just be a part of so many women's stories. But yeah, in my experience, I let the information kind of sit with me and brew with me for about four years where I just didn't do anything with it. I, I think it was almost denial, really. I mean, I'd spoken to some friends about it, but I'd never reported it with the police officially or anything like that. And then I was at university in my first year and I had a friend and we were talking about it. it he turned to me and he was like, you know, it's not OK. It's not normal what's happened. I know that you say that this happened to lots of people, but that doesn't mean it's okay. And he kind of encouraged me to report to the police. And I knew that if I didn't do it right then, I was never going to do it. So I ended up calling the local police station and then they sent out a really, really nice policeman to my uni room. And he was plain clothed and we just talked about everything that had happened. And it went from there, really. 
Wow. I know in our conversations that when we've had guests on, as you say, who come on to talk about something and and then share with us their, their own uh, experience of being sexually assaulted, raped or, or groomed or, or or something like that, in particular, the women guests that we, we have on. And, and we always reflect on that. And you always make a point in one way or another or, or, or warn me about certain things and enlighten me when I kind of overlook something or or I'm not being as sensitive as I, I, I could be and should be. But I didn't realize that that was your story. I didn't realize that that was, I mean, you mentioned to me sexual assault. I didn't know that you yourself were a victim of rape, Tegan. That's horrible. What did the police do after that very nice policeman came and you shared with him what had happened to you? So, um, yeah, so he, as I said, he took down my story and he was so kind. And the most important thing was that he said to me, you know, I believe you. That's a really good place to start. I believe that you're telling me the truth. Why which is, is really that key important. then? Why, why was that key? <laughs> it's, be- yeah, it's important because there's lots of stigma, I suppose, around women reporting and doing it for the wrong reasons and sort of lots of gossip about, oh, did that even happen? And I don't know. You feel like when this happens to you, you <laughs> you don't want to seem like you're doing it for attention or to be dramatic, especially because I am someone that's always been a little bit gobby and and you know I, I like to to talk and I can happily lead a group and I I kind of thought oh no this is the I seem like the kind of person that won't be taken seriously. But yeah, when he said to me, you know, let's just start here. I believe you. I see this all the time. You know, and and yeah, that was an important place to start. I didn't feel like I was trying to convince the police. I just felt like I had to tell them all the facts and all my side of the story effectively. Is it, I mean, there's so much we could explore here and I've got lots of questions diving around my head and I'm sure people listening to this have. But let me just fire the things that are instantaneously coming out of my thinking. And the first thing is that, you know, the police believed you. And I'm thinking groomed was one of the words you use. I don't know how old this guy was. You mentioned that you went off to a music festival together. So there was a a relationship there, not a physical or even girlfriend-boyfriend type relationship, but a relationship that may have just been a, a friendship or, or, or a connection. So there was a relationship where you got to know each other. Or yeah. are you saying that that getting to know each other was actually a deliberate grooming process? So it's a really complicated one because for me, when I was 14, I joined a new school and it was a boarding school and I joined on a scholarship. So I couldn't afford to go there like a lot of the other people. And um, I felt like a little bit like a black sheep, effectively. And this older guy, so I was 14 and he was in sick form. So I don't know his exact age, but I think he was 17. He was either 16 or 17. So a little bit older. He um, sort of befriended me online. So I would see him around. He wouldn't really acknowledge me in person, but he would be talking to me every single night online. From the offset, I never found him attractive physically, but he was a bit sort of, (laughs) the word I want to use is emo. He was kind of like slightly different to everyone else there. And that kind of comforted me because I didn't feel like I fitted in with a lot of the other people there. He actually had a girlfriend the whole time who was living in the same boarding house as me. And I got on with her really well. So I never felt like he was attracted to me or interested in me in that way for a long time. Where it gets kind of complicated is that, yeah, the the police call it grooming. I never really saw it as that. 
until I became a real adult and thought, wow, okay, if this happened to my little sister, of course it's grooming, you know, this constant online talk. And I don't know how comfortable I feel about going into it deeply about the things that would happen online, but, you know, lots and lots of pressure to do lots and lots of things I did not want to do. Is that, and when how, you, how does that, how does that differ? Let me interrupt because I know yeah, I can, yeah, and yeah, you, no, you know, my, my, my school of thought. So I, I know that I'm not going to offend you. And my intention is not to offend any, anybody else's, I think this, but I'm sure lots of other people want to ask these kinds of questions. What's the difference in your mind between somebody, you know, doing the hard chat up, whether it's online or physically in, in your face and, and grooming, because, you know, being asked to do things, maybe send explicit pictures and doing stuff like that is all part of the, the court in process. <laughs> and people use it more on social media than they do, you know, a, a little pinch of the nipple or a kiss on the cheek kind of thing in, in real life. Uh, and maybe I'm just too old school, but I'm, I'm just trying to get what the difference is between somebody, you know, grooming as in, you know, they're, they're trying to get you to do something you don't want to do, but people do that when they're trying to chat people up or, or, or yeah. court them in a way. Yeah, and, and I completely understand. And I think that that is where, you know, the trouble comes in for a lot of younger people. Like, is this normal? Is this chatting up? Or is this like, am I pressurizing someone? And I think the difference comes from a place where that person says, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm really not interested in doing that. And you sort of say things like, um, well, everyone else does it. You know, you put, put this pressure on and then you say things like, but I thought that you cared about me. I thought we had an understanding. I thought that we were there for each other. And then sort of saying things like, but it's not weird. Like everybody does it. And when you are 14 and you've never had any experience like this, you do trust an older person. And it sounds kind of strange, um, but he, I sort of saw him as an older brother. And the weird thing is, is I really believed that he genuinely saw me as like a little sister kind of character. And, and as I say, he had a girlfriend. It wasn't like... If he'd been like this single guy, maybe I would have been a bit more aware of what was happening. <laughs> I feel I feel like as I'm saying, I'm very aware of how someone that's not experienced it might hear it. Well, what's the difference between that and something else? But I mean, it's really hard to explain. It's, it's, well, it it's, isn't it's, because I think you've done it brilliantly. I think you've already set my mind at rest because like you say, there's one thing when you're saying to someone, oh, go and send me a picture, and they say no, and you say, oh, come on, I'll send you one, no, and you're having a giggle, and even if it's via messages, you can feel there is a sense of giggling going on, a bit of fun between the two. I think you turn the key when you start sort of saying what you were just saying and how you articulated, Tegan. I think that was that was really powerful, and I think you just distinguished the difference between grooming and somebody chatting somebody up and then being in it together as opposed to one person manipulating the other person to do something to please somebody that they don't really want to do, but they think they should because et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, I think as well, um, there was, there's a sort of other layer to it. In my case, there was anyway. So there was the sort of more explicit side of things. Then there was also the feeling side so I mean he knew I was sort of fancying other people at school and stuff like this and it makes you feel very safe that they're not interested because they have a girlfriend you're talking about other people you like and um, I'll never forget I was I had a really bad day where I was like I really don't want to do this with you anymore like I feel really uncomfortable and like I don't 
like it and everything even I I was doing it because I felt like I had to but I knew that I didn't want to be doing it and he said to me oh well my girlfriend does this thing that really helps her when she feels upset so she just gets like a little razor from her like shower razor you know blade and and she just makes small cuts on her leg and honestly the pain it just disappears and he was kind of explaining self-harm and I'd never really heard of self-harm before as I said I was only at 14 and um and that is where I started self-harm so it was like there was kind of this yeah and like he never said to me do it but (laughs) it's really hard to explain like it's almost like if a parental figure sort of said to you this thing really really helps and it's normal when I have a girlfriend that does it you'd be like oh okay and then you try it and it actually helps you because you're masking that mental pain with physical pain, which is a lot easier to deal with, in my opinion. Um, so it was kind of, yeah, there was layers to it. You know, it was, it was this whole emotional manipulation. And I think it's hard for people to understand how a guy that was 16 or 17 at the time when this started, could he have known what he was doing? I, I actually don't know. On a personal level, I actually don't know if he knew what he was doing and the damage that he was doing. But it did continue up until I was 17. So, you know, he's gone to uni. He was like 20 odd years old. So even then, you know. What what kept you connected? I mean, I'm shocked by what you've just said. Not, you know, I'm always shocked by what people tell me. I just didn't and don't know this side of your life. Not that I should and not that you should share it with me. So it's. It's interesting that you are now. And, And again, lots of questions. And I kind of think what would drive a young girl like yourself to listen to, even if that person is slightly older, to do something like inflict pain by self-harming? Is that because you yourself have or had mental health issues? Is it because you wanted or at the time felt that you needed to please him or because you wanted to be a part of what you thought was going on in the wider community of the school friends? I mean, what, what do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think I, my my childhood is quite disruptive and quite traumatic in other ways, which I don't really want to go into. But I think as a result of that, I probably had some deep rooted issues which hadn't really been dealt with. And then I moved school and house a lot, which meant that I didn't really have any long term friends. And then I suddenly had this person who was sort of sharing in my trauma, really. And I grew up with a single mum. I didn't really see my dad much um and you know she was really busy you know she had to look after both of us and that meant for her starting up her own business and she she was really really busy and I I knew she was there if I needed to talk to someone but I don't know there's this part of you as a teenager sometimes you don't really want to talk to your parents no matter how close you are to them um and yeah he was just the person I could tell anything to I mean he would tell me things which were so you know my god I can't believe he's telling me that and it makes you feel so comfortable with that person so there's there's two layers to sort of like a groomer effectively it's like there's this part of them which you know you don't really like but you feel obliged to be there for it because you know that along with that bad part comes all of this good stuff all of the support And also when you have disclosed your secrets to somebody and you have done things you didn't want to do, you don't know if that they've kept pictures. You don't know what they have over you. You know, they could tell anybody your secrets. And when you are 14, 15, 16, that's terrifying. You know, your social life is everything. And 
I mean, he never he never threatened me to tell people, not that I remember, but you just know that that could happen. So maybe that's what keeps you connected. I'm shaking my head in disbelief that you're articulating it so well. You don't have to answer this question, but but I'm I'm trying to, as I do, go through the chronological of events. You talked about being groomed. You talked about you know going to this music festival with this guy who manipulated you. Uh, as far yeah, as yeah, it was it was just it was just a gig. It was just a just a, a gig. gig. It wasn't but, but, it wasn't overnight or anything. Yeah. But you mentioned being raped in the back of the the car. What was this? Because we hear of stranger danger type rapes where strangers snatch people, which is very rare. As much as it's it is very rare, it, it yeah. is very rare. It's more about you know, it's more common that individuals are raped by people that they know, whether it's within the family or, or friends, and in this case, somebody that that you'd built. A, a kind of disturbing relationship with is how I would describe it, but but that's because of what I want to call it. Was it a a physical fight type rape, Tegan? Was you trying to get oh. away and escape? <laughs> yeah, I'll just give like a tiny bit of background because I feel like it helps. So yeah, I, I, our relationship we'd stopped talking um, as much. So as I got older, I moved away. I was no longer at the boarding school. He'd gone off to uni. We didn't talk as much. He would just pop up every now and then and make me feel anxious. <laughs> and he messaged me saying, oh, I'm, I'm near you where you live um, for a gig on the blah, blah, blah. Um, do you like this band? And I was like, yeah, I actually do like this band. And again, I just moved again. So I didn't know a lot of people. So it was like, oh, there's that comfort blanket again of that person that I know. <laughs> and so he said, OK, well, meet me here and here and I'll, I'll take you to the gig because it was like in the city next door to where I lived. And then we'll go to the gig and then I'll drive you home again. And I was like, brilliant. I can go to a gig. I don't have a car. I can't even drive. You know, <laughs> this guy's going to take me whatever. And I felt pretty safe. Like it's a gig. There's loads of people there. You know, I feel like I should also just say that I, when I first met up with him, I, I had a really not good feeling in my stomach. And I, like, it was one of those feelings where you think, oh God, should you be here kind of thing? And we went to a pub before the gig and he said, what do you want to drink? I'll buy it. And I was like, oh, I'll just have a J2O. And he was like, you're not going to have any alcohol. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want any alcohol. And the reason was because I didn't really drink a lot anyway, but also I, I just didn't feel good, like comfortable. So I thought, no, I'm not going to risk having any alcohol. So I kind of, it was almost like before I'd even gone to the gig, I felt not good about the situation. And then in the actual gig, we weren't even standing next to each other. So I'd like pushed my way all the way to the front. He was a couple of rows back. And the whole gig, we didn't, we didn't really talk, didn't really like look at each other or anything. We just enjoyed the music. And then, yeah, we didn't go for a drink or anything afterwards. We just got straight back in the car. And basically uh, how it happened was he tried, whilst he was driving, he tried to force my head down onto him whilst he was driving. And I popped my head back up and I was like, whoa, 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 what the hell? Like, I'm not interested in that at all. But also I felt really unsafe. So it was like two layers to it. I was like, oh my God, like, I don't want to be doing this for multiple reasons. And then he pulled into um, a car park and I feel like it was a park and ride, but I'm not 100% sure because your memory does go a bit weird when something like this happens to you. And he pulled up in the car park and I was like, this isn't the way to my house. Like as he we were pulling into the car park and he went, yeah, no. And then he locked the car doors. And like, it might not sound like much to a lot of people, but it's 2 a.m. It's dark. You don't know where you are because you only just recently moved to this place. You, you wouldn't even know where to, you know, get a bus or whatever. 
your mum's asleep. <laughs> you're, so you're pretty, you pretty feel, you feel alone basically. And I, I kind of knew in that moment, like, oh crap, like this could go in multiple, you know, ways or whatever. Then he turned to me and he said, get naked and get in the back. And I was like, what, what? Like, you know, what are you talking about? I don't want to, I don't want to. And he, and he just repeated himself, get naked and get in the back. And um, I think something that really harmed my case was that I wasn't like, no, no, and like fighting and everything like that. And the reason was it was pure terror. I just, I just did what he told me to do because I was so afraid. It's hard to get people to understand, but, you know, you know tone of voice, you know a stern look. And, yeah, everything in him to me was like, you know, this is going to happen whether you want it to or not. So you better comply, basically. And I mean, as I said, like he'd locked the doors and everything. It was very, yeah. I mean, Listen. I can understand why people would say, "What? Well, you didn't say you, f- you didn't fight him or whatever." But well, no, it nobody, is still rape because it's not consensual. So. Nobody has the right. Exactly, it was not consensual. Nobody has the right to say to you or to any other victim what they should feel like, how they should react, what they should do when they find themselves in the situation that you found yourself in, number one. Number two, I think you're extremely brave sharing what you just shared and reliving that that ordeal and all power to you. And three, we haven't gone down this route so that people can be entertained by what happened to you, Tegan. It's about educating people that they themselves could find themselves in that situation. They may have a daughter or a son that they need to be able to to make aware that when you feel frightened, you've got to follow your instincts. So there's lots of things that can come out of what you've just shared. So I do appreciate you you sharing it in, in the mm. detailed way that you have what what's really striking home to me apart from the horrors of what you went through and I'm so so glad that that you have turned out to be such a resilient and strong person because that's the Tegan I know and people need to know that my guest booker is a tough you know determined gobby girl but you know you come out (laughs) the other end but what what is also so important is what people can learn from what you went through but the one thing that is jumping out at me that concerns me is as you tell your story, as you tell me the journey you've been on and the experience, there is a sense of me that makes me feel that you feel that you were in some way, shape or form responsible for what happened. I don't know why. Tell me why. It's, because you're always it, telling me yeah. off about this when we talk <laughs> to some of my other guests or we have these conversations. But why am I feeling that? yeah because it's true it's so hard because you recognize as time goes on that it really wasn't your fault what happened it wasn't my fault and I know that but there's this part of you which is like why you know when you had that gut feeling why didn't you just say actually I feel ill I'm gonna go home or why did you I don't know why didn't you kick and scream or and and now I look at it from more of like an evidence-based side so I'm like why didn't you scratch at his skin get his skin scales under your nails then go straight to the police after it happened or go to a rape clinic straight after it happened like why didn't you do these things and I think that the reason I feel like that is because I did report but I reported four years after it happened and my case fell through because of a lack of evidence so I think that's why. Lack of evidence? Yeah, lack of evidence. Because it's a historical case. 
it, it's so hard to prove these cases anyway, because unless you have CCTV of someone, you know, forcing someone or something, it's really hard to know. It's very easy to hear somebody say, I was raped. I feel like I was raped. I didn't want to do it. It's really hard to prove that the person that did it knew it wasn't consensual, especially because of things like, you know, porn and bondage and S&M and all of this stuff where people kind of glamorize being choked and thrown up against a wall and all of this stuff that we see in Fifty Shades. And, you I know, watched it myself. <laughs> <laughs> I highly recommend. Watched. No, I'm joking. It's terrible. But it's really hard to prove that the guy didn't know it was consensual. But it shouldn't be for the victim to have to prove. It, it, it should be. I, I say that, I mean, of course, you know, to find someone guilty, it's the prosecution's responsibility to prove the case, but it shouldn't be for the victim to have to think about scratching the neck, which could provoke an attacker into doing something they may not otherwise have done. I don't know, physically. Mm. They're already physically yeah. harming you, but it could get... Um, yeah. And move to an. Uh, I, I, I hesitate to even say another level because how higher can you go than raping someone? W- was the individual aware of the fact that you'd reported the incident? Was it brought to their attention at some point? Yeah. So it wasn't that long after I reported it that I had to do a video interview. So I did a video interview. It was it was horrible. I was taken to a safe house and everything. So I did a video interview. First, just about that night in question, basically, just about the night that we went to the gig and what happened. And the police knew that I had obviously a lot of stuff to sort of back up this night. Like it was almost like he was always waiting for this opportunity to happen, really. If you looked back on the last four years before that or three years before that, and they said, oh, we'll need to do another video interview with you about everything that's happened before that night. Because there's so much stuff. We can't do it all in one video. So I did the first one and then they, they contacted him on Facebook because that's how the police contact people nowadays, apparently. They, they didn't do a very good job of finding out anything about him. So I actually unblocked him on Facebook and I handed them all the information that I could find. And the most disturbing thing was, oh, my God, he's actually moved to the city that I live in. And so I gave them all this information. They messaged him on Facebook and said, hey, we would really like you to come down to the station so we can do like a voluntary interview. So he went with his family lawyer that he had. Um, He comes from a wealthy family. And they asked him some questions and they sort of read him some things from my interview, I believe, to see if he agreed or disagreed. He did the classic thing that people do when they're accused of rape. They say, oh, we did have sex, but it was consensual. So that's the way that he decided to play it. I, I really struggled because I, my, my, the police officer that was dealing my, with my case where I was now living, which was different to the first police officer, he actually sort of told me a lot of what went down in their interview with him. And not only did he said, oh, yeah, no, we had sex because, you know, we both wanted to. He sort of also said, oh, you know, she was begging me for it. You know, she and all of this. And it's so hard to hear. I, I never really expected him to say, yeah, I raped her. Because who would really do that? It's very rare. But I wasn't expecting him to go to the extent of almost acting like it was all me that wanted it. I don't know. It was, it was horrible. But I, I also, I think, um, just going back to something I said before about why didn't I go to a rape clinic or anything? It's just something I really wanted to flag in this sort of interview. 
was that in the UK, I'm not sure what it's like abroad, but in the UK, if something happens to you, like a sexual assault or rape, anything like that, or if you're even like not sure about it, because in the time it can be really like a bit of a mind fuck. <laughs> Am I allowed mm. to say that word? You said it. <laughs> you can go to a rape clinic, you can do all the tests and they will just hold the information and the DNA and everything, they will not take it to the police. I think that's something that not enough people know. And I'm always telling my friends that like something happens, you go straight there. Like you don't even question it. Yes, it's going to be horrible, but it's not going to be any more horrible than what's just happened. So like, just get it done. And then if you like me decide four years later, then it's there, Like you've got the the evidence there. It will really really, help your case. That's a really good point. Uh, And it's a point, to reflect on what you said at the very beginning when you started sharing your story, Tegan, was that, that you know, many of the guests that we've had on to talk about other parts of their story talk about being the victims of sexual assault or, or, or rape and how more common and frequent it is among, you know, the female population then, then I hope it's not as big and as bad as that. And I hope it's just not my podcast and the nature of the work that I do that, that people who have experienced such traumatic experiences are, are gravitate towards sharing their story. Where are you now? I suppose this is my last question in your headspace, because justice was not served in that the you know suspect was prosecuted and, and convicted of what you say he did. And I say that carefully, what you say he did. Yeah, you have to be careful in situations like this. Yeah, It's easy for me to just kind of side with everybody, but that's not the issue here. The issue is where are you at now in your life? And there are two things there because you've comfortably talked about, and I can feel and hear and see the emotion as you are talking about it. I'm sure there were a few tears you wanted to, to drop, but you were strong enough because you're stronger than your perpetrator but but where are you at now and tell me that you you didn't adopt the kind of self-harm mantra that this guy introduced you to so um where am I now (laughs) so it, it was recently seven years since it happened which was a big deal for me because not long after it happened I mean I felt really really dirty disgusting like horrible which is quite common after something like this happens like physically you just hate your own skin and I read that it takes seven years for every cell in your body to replace itself so I was like right you got seven years and then he wouldn't have touched a single cell in your body like you're free of him um so yeah the other day it was seven years and it was a really big deal for me I remember you messaging me I I remember you messaged me yeah. And I didn't quite, well, obviously now I can, but I didn't make the connection. I know that you said, but I think you were referencing one of our other guests. And at least in another X amount of years, that individual will get over that trauma. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, you, yeah, you still have the mental trauma, of course, but my body is my own, you know, and I love that. There's like, I feel like sometimes trauma lives in your cells. And uh, yeah, it's good to know that not one of them was in that car. I feel okay. I mean, I'm glad that I reported. I'm sad they took me so long, but I am glad that I did it despite the result. There are a few reasons. One is that if he ever does this to anybody else, or if someone comes forward against him, my case will be used as evidence. So that could support their case. And also, I do think that he knows that this is hanging over him now. So I don't think he will ever do this to someone else. It's too. It's not worth the risk. He knows that 
you can't always get away with it. And he's already got a mark against him. And, and I feel good about that. Like, if anyone's ever wondering whether they should report, although you have to put yourself first, like, even if you don't get that result, it's still a positive result to me anyway. That's good to um, hear. That's really yeah. good to hear. And it's also nice. You don't live thinking, oh, should I have, would I, you know, like all of this. It's like, no, I tried. I did everything that I could. And now I just got to focus on myself. But yeah, my, my life is good. I'm, I'm in a long-term relationship. I'm really happy and I've got a good job and a nice flat and the best hamster in the world. <laughs> Although you're self-isolating at the moment because you went I to am. the cinema, didn't you? And you got Yeah, I think it was the cinema. Yeah. It, I got trace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm isolating for a few more days. Um, but yeah, no, life is good. Life Just is tell good. me that you don't self-harm. I do not self-harm. Good. I did... I was extremely suicidal. I had chronic depression for about three years after it happened. And then I met my partner, actually, just as I was recovering. And we went traveling for six months, which really helped. And I then went to uni. And although I did report, and I have to say, when I reported, my personality did change. I, I, I went through all of the grief then instead of when it happened, which was really hard, like, my mum didn't know who I was. My boyfriend didn't know who I was. You know, I was very, very different, I suppose. And then after it all went through and everything, I then started to come back to myself again, but a better version of myself. So, yeah, I I don't self-harm. I don't even drink, really. I don't smoke. I don't do drugs. None of that kind of self-harm. I look after myself. Well, there you have it, Tegan. <laughs> I, I... I, I mean, look, I, I mean, for my audience's benefit, for our audience's benefit, for my benefit, I mean, I, I knew there was something, but it wasn't my place to sort of pry. But but I, I'm glad that you have taken the time to to share. And, and And it's interesting because you've listened to the ups and downs of other people's story, not just on this podcast, but I'm sure in life. And I suppose it's one of the reasons that, that we're working together, you know, people like minds gravitate towards each other and there's always you know like this podcast says there's always something that comes out of something that's that's bad I I, I hesitate to describe yours as a, as a second chance how how would you describe it it's not is it it's not a second chance no but I think that when this happens to you this is going to sound really bizarre but it's my opinion that you know something grows inside of you which a lot of other people that it hasn't happened to won't have. So you grow this like ability, this resilience, but also this power to be able to connect with other people. And that's something that I use on this podcast all the time. It, it, you can feel the same traumas in other people. I'm absolutely sure of it. You know, I meet other people and I sort of feel like I know it's happened to them as well. And you connect on this like other level. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's given me a second chance because I feel like if I'd never met him, I would love to meet the person that I would be. I think I would be younger and I think I'd have less lines on my forehead. She, she hasn't got a line. You know? she has, I know she's early 20s. I, I hesitate to say you're old. No, I 20. have more lines than most people my age. <laughs> and it's all because of him. I mean, that's what I mean. It is hard. It's hard to think, oh, I could be so carefree and whatever. But actually you choose... You, to a level, you do choose the person you're going to be. And I don't choose to be this miserable cynic. 
I've actually chosen to believe that most people are good. There's some bad apples. And I actually think that it comes from their own trauma, their own problems. And I think that if he one day turns to me and says, I really want to talk to you and apologize, I will hear him out. I will. Oh, would you? Yeah. I'm not saying I'll ever be okay with what happened. Obviously, it was horrible. It literally, at the time, it felt like it had completely ruined my life. It ruined my relationship and it ruined my sex life as well. But like, I mean, it would do me a load of good in terms of healing if he turned to me and said, look, I mean, I'm not going to admit it to the police, but I'll admit it to you. You know, I know what I was doing and I'll never do it again. Yeah, it would be it would be so important to me. That's interesting. Let's hope he hears this in some way or gets the message. <laughs> it reverberates to him and and shakes him into at least apologising to you so you feel a sense of whatever it is you need to feel a sense of. Tegan, thanks so much for sharing your story with us, with me, with yourself. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's it's brilliant. I, 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 I was going to say... Let's talk about who we've um, who we've got coming up on the show. I knew you were going to do that. Just have a normal chat, yeah. And, and, uh, well, I, I don't want to end. I want to make – well, you smile anyway and you're laughing and that's good and it's always difficult when you talk about such challenging topics like, like what we've just talked about. But that's, I think, testament to your resilience and this thing that you said grew inside you. I, I, I wonder if that's empathy because I think that's one of the big driving forces when you've been through an experience – you can empathize with other people who've been through an experience. It doesn't have to be an identical experience. It just has to be a suffering of some kind or where you become the victim of something or where you've been hurt by something. So it can come in different shapes and forms. And I think it then allows you to empathize with people um, when, when they've suffered. Everybody's suffered in their own way, shape or form. It's what you do with that suffering, I think, and how you use it. Is, is also important. I digress. I was going to say about our next guest, but we may be talking to, in next week's episode, the fiancé of one of the guests we've had on before who is serving a never-get-out-of-prison sentence in America. So let's hope that one comes forward. Tegan's knocking, nodding and thinking, oh, my God, have I got to make sure that happens? Well, hopefully. <laughs> no, not. it's happening. It's happening. She's on. She's coming on. She's, she's lovely. She's going to be great. Well, look, thanks very much, Tegan, for sharing your story, coming on and and doing what you do. Thank you. (laughs) It was a pleasure. And may I say, your guest booker is absolutely fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, look, I'm going to end it there before you get too (laughs) big-headed. Okay. I think it's brilliant that Tegan came on the show to share her story. And I hope it will inspire you to share your story if it helps you or someone else. Thanks for listening to this episode and please share and follow us on social media. It'd be great if you could rate and review on the site where you listen to this podcast. And if you want to support or advertise on this show, please get in touch. If you think I should get someone on the show, drop me a direct message via LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook or any other means you have to make contact. Audio editing is by Audio Avalanche. The original music is by J-Row Productions. The cover design work is by Studio Minerva. Our guest booker is Tegan Parsons. And me, your host, Raphael Rowe.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.